Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. This morning, I, um, you guys are in for a treat. And this guy is a very good friend of mine. And um, he's a friend of Clovis Hills. He's been here and spoken numerous times. Uh, He wrote a book called Anchored Man, which is an incredible book on uh, really how to grow your your faith. And it's based on um, kind of the metaphor of climbing. And um, he's already preached on it a hundred times. So I said, Jason, just come and bring us God's word. He's an incredible preacher. He's the pastor at Daybreak Community Church in Carlsbad, California, and um, a good friend of mine. Here's the deal. I'm going to show you a video and you, you watch this video, and I don't know what he's going to do with it, but whatever. Um, but when the video is finished, here's what I need you to do. I need you, as he's coming up, to give a huge Clovis Hills welcome for him. Um, you probably don't deserve a standing ovation, Jason. So don't worry about standing, but cheer real loud, okay? So go ahead, fix your eyes on the video, and then you, you can enjoy this. <laughs> How many of you have seen that movie, Sandlot, before? So if you're wondering... If you're new, what in the world does that have to do with church or a sermon? The answer is absolutely nothing. Um, It has nothing to do with this sermon. What you may not know is Pastor Sean and I have been friends for so long that whenever we're preaching in each other's church or whatever, we always try to mess with each other and do something awkward or weird. And uh, he knew when I was in uh, a high school at a church summer camp, I actually had a little summer camp fling with the gal who was the actress for, um, for that movie, Wendy Peppercorn. Her name is Molly Shelton. And he and my other friends will never let me uh, live that one down. So it had nothing to do with church. I apologize if you're like, why are we, what the, okay. So, uh, but I am so glad to be here with you guys. And he's gonna be speaking at my church in a couple of months. I will find some way to get back at him. Last night, I'm sitting on the front row for a Saturday night service. He didn't tell me anything about this. He just said, oh, by the way, there's a video before you preach. That's it. And he just sent me up there. I was like a deer in the headlights. I had no idea what we were talking about. And uh, he's so mean. He's just so mean like that. And everybody else in this church is so welcoming. I feel like I'm at home when I come here and I hang out with you guys. Everybody is so nice, except for Pastor Sean. Um, (laughs) So I will try to find ways to be mean back to him. But... uh, I, man, I love worshiping, worshiping here at the church with you. Your worship team is phenomenal, are they not? Uh, they are so gifted, and there are so many amazing singers. I was telling Sean last night uh, that I was in uh, New York recently at Hillsong, New York, which if you know anything about worship music, it's like Mecca, right? It's where Hillsong United is. And I go, man, they didn't sound any better than you guys I mean, this is an amazing, gifted team. Joseph and all the, the team are so incredible. Which really, how many of you know you do not need a talented team to worship God, right? You can worship God in your heart even if somebody's got a broken guitar string and they sing horrible, okay? You can still worship God. But it's fun to be in a church where the worship music is so high quality. Plus, it helps when the preaching is like kind of so-so. Like in this church, it definitely helps make the service a little bit more palatable, so... Come on, you're, Dr. Sean Beatty. You know, your pastor has a PhD, I have ADD. Um, but nonetheless, we're gonna get through this morning together. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Exodus chapter three, please. Exodus chapter three. And uh, inside your, um, your bulletin on the backside, there is a place to jot down notes for those of you who are note takers. 
Uh, while you're turning there, I want to uh, uh, quote Jesus in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10. He said this, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. And some of you have maybe heard that Bible verse before. That's Jesus' desire for you, that you would have a full life, a fulfilling life. Not necessarily a perfect life, but a life that is absolutely fulfilled. And that is uh, my prayer for you. I know that's what your pastors here at Clovis Hills want for you, to have a fulfilling life. And today we're going to look uh, at the life of, um, of Moses and at least a small segment of his life and how God took his life in one of the, the lowest points of his life and did something absolutely incredible and miraculous that I believe he wants to do for us today. So um, as you're turning to Exodus chapter 3, I want to tell you a couple weeks ago I was speaking at a men's camp up in Big Bear, California, if you've ever been up there. And um, in the summertime, that place just has a bunch of mountain bikers who take over what is in the wintertime, the ski slopes. And so my, my oldest son was uh, back from college for a few days, so we decided to um, borrow a couple mountain bikes, and we went riding up on this trail on top of the mountain. And while we were um, riding up there, we were on a single track trail that at the end of one of these curves, a berm, there was a big patch of really soft, deep sand. And I was out in front, and when I came around the corner, I hit this pocket of sand. My, my steering wheel was a little off to the side. My wheel sunk in it, and I started to go over the handlebars. But because of my cat-like reflexes, Actually, I do not have cat-like reflexes, but somehow by a miracle of God, I didn't go over the handlebars and I kind of pulled out of it and I got past it. And then my son was coming. He's younger, faster, a little more gung-ho than his old man. So he comes around the corner and uh, before I could really warn him, his front tire hits the sand. He goes over the handlebars and lands in this giant thorn bush, big, thick thorns. And I did, of course, what any dad would do in that situation. I just started laughing. I started laughing. I'm like, man, he's millennial. He could use to just have a little pain and suffering in his life to, like, show him what's up. You know, so, so I'm laughing. And then I'm like, all right. Then second thing a dad does, I'm going to help him. So I go down. I mean, I didn't get in the thorn bush. Let's not get crazy. I went kind of, kind of near it. And I reach and I, and I help pull him out. When he came out, he had thorns stuck in his rear end and in his back. So I did the third thing that dads do, and that is I pulled out my phone to video because uh, I wanted to see this. I actually brought a little, a little short iPhone clip. You want to see one of the thorns that I pulled out of his back? If you don't, I don't blame you. Just keep looking for Exodus chapter 3. The rest of you, you can take a look at this together. Oh, oh boy. Let's see. Hold on. Here you go. Bubba just got this fellow. Oh, dude. <laughs> that was yummy. He just came around the corner and rolled into that thorn bush. <laughs> There's one in your in your tish, like in like the shorts, but uh, yeah, we'll dude, that one was in your skin. That was nasty. Okay. No, I didn't do that. Uh, <clears throat> how many of you uh, know that it is very easy at li in life at times to just go off trail a little bit, and it can cost you a lot. Uh, most of us in life have experienced our life going off course. And maybe it's something that you did, a bad decision that you made, uh, or maybe it's something that happened to you. But if you're like me, I, I like to have an idea of my future and where I'm headed. 
I've, I have a little bit of control freak in me at times. You know, if you said to me, hey, Jason, let's go grab a bite to eat after church today, and I had in my mind that we were going to get barbecue, and we're driving there, and if at the last second you go, nah, instead let's go get a salad, I have a very hard time letting go of the dream of barbecue, okay? I, have a, I, like, nah, I might, if I ever show up and it's closed, I, I might just regret it all day because I like to know, like, what's happening if I have a plan I want to stick to it. But those of us who have lived enough life know that life almost never turns out the way we expect, does it? Some of you are here and your life is so different from what you imagined when you were younger. And for many of us, it feels like our life just went off course. Maybe you had a relationship or you were married and you dreamed of and planned uh, for growing old with this person. But maybe you made some bad choices or something happened in the relationship and now you're, you're divorced or that, that relationship is severed and you feel like you're in a thorn bush off the side of the trail of where your life should be headed. And sometimes it's difficult because even when you're off trail, you can look back and still see the trail. Maybe you lost a job that you planned on, on having as kind of a long career and now you, you, you got fired or they cut back or whatever and maybe you even still have to drive by that place. And you're reminded, that's where I should be. That's how my life should have gone. But now you find yourself in a situation where you're trying to wrestle through the fact that you have a different future than you had desired or expected. And again, this happens to all of us at different times in our life. And today we're going to be looking at a very small moment in the life of one of the great heroes of our faith, Moses. When we think of Moses, we think of let my people go, right? And the plagues and raising his staff and the, the sea splitting in half. And he's like the bearded wonder of the heroes of, of the faith in scripture. But there's also a time in his life where his life went way off course. And it happened as a result of one decision he made. And I wanna, I wanna talk to you about the way that God can still redeem and restore and even find us when we've gone off course in our life. So if you're here today and you feel like your life is off course or if you've ever experienced that, you're going to be glad you came to church this morning. So we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 3 to kind of give you a little bit of background in case you aren't familiar with the story of Moses, haven't seen the movie Ten Commandments or Prince of Egypt. Here's just a quick rundown. Moses was born uh, in Egypt, but he was not an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. He was a Jewish, an Israelite, God's chosen people. At the time Moses was born, the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. So they lived as lower class citizens. Well, without going into too much detail, Moses as a baby ended up being adopted into the royal family. And though he was a Hebrew, he grew up in the royal palace of Pharaoh. And when he was a young man one day, he was outside of the palace, roaming the city, and he saw a Hebrew, one of his own countrymen, who was being beaten by an Egyptian slave master, physically abused. And this infuriated Moses. Some of you know the story. He got so angry, he struck the Egyptian. And when he struck the Egyptian, I don't know if he intended to or not, but the Egyptian died. And so now Moses as a young man is a murderer. And he decides to flee, to run, to get out of there. So he, he, he leaves Egypt 
and he goes out to a place called Midian. Now, Midian, in case you aren't familiar with Midian in Scripture, Midian is this desolate, dry desert place on the, the eastern flank of, of the Red Sea. It's a kind of place that nobody would ever purposefully go to. He went there to hide out in the desert. And when he got there, he actually met a woman, uh, married this woman, got kind of adopted into this family of a guy named Jethro, and he became a shepherd. So he used to be Egyptian royalty in the palace of Pharaoh. Now he's a shepherd in some desolate place called Midian. By the way, Midian, if you look up in the original Hebrew, the Hebrew word for Midian is Modesto, okay? So that gives you an idea of where he is, right? He's like self-banished out to obscurity. And when we pick up the story, Moses is a shepherd in this desolate place and God comes and finds him. I want to read with you Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he had led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. That's my God voice, by the way, if you're wondering. Uh, and Moses said, here I am. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is what? Holy ground. You are standing on holy ground. And so Moses, even though he probably feels like his life is over, it's off course, he made a bad decision, he's paying it for it by just being stuck in obscurity. He finds this God moment where God in the form of this bush that doesn't burn up from the fire speaks to him and calls out to him. And I want to tell you something. It is oftentimes in those seasons of life where you feel like you've gone off course that God comes looking for you. And God didn't just call out to Moses. He calls out to all of us. He calls out to people who are imperfect, people who have messed up. He calls out to people who are, are insecure about our past, people who have a seemingly insignificant life. And this is really important because today I'm going to ask you to not just read a story about a guy named Moses, but I want you to take his story and imprint it upon your life for a few minutes. For those of you that are note takers, if you have your bulletin out, I want to give you a couple of things to write down, okay? The first one is this. God calls out to imperfect, insignificant, and insecure people. And here's what he does. He finds us and he offers us eternal significance. If you're taking notes, write that down. He offers us eternal significance. Basically, he says this. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I want you to have a life that is full. I want you to be fulfilled, and the only way you're gonna be fulfilled is by fulfilling the plans that I have for you. I don't know if you figured this out yet, but there's nothing in this world that will fulfill you. There's no RV big enough that you can drive around in retirement. There's no house or property big enough. There's no vacation so great. There's no relationship so fulfilling. Unless you are set on God, I wanna fulfill your plans for me, you will never have a fulfilling life. And so God calls out to Moses and he says, Moses, 
even though you've really screwed things up, I've got a plan for you. I am not done with you yet. And this is easy, I bet, for a lot of us to relate to because most of us have at one time or another felt like because of our own poor choices, our life has gone off trail. And how many of you know, by the way, that can happen really quickly, right? Moses, one decision, he, he ended up being a murderer and it changed the course of his life forever. Some of you are here and your life got off course very quickly. Maybe it was a DUI. And then as a result, maybe you, you, you lost a job. Maybe you got a, a health diagnosis in, in, in just one meeting with the doctor. Everything about your future has changed. And I want you to know that if you are here and you identify with Moses' imperfection, you know maybe you've screwed some things up. Maybe you can identify with the fact that he, he really had resigned to be very insignificant. He used to live in the palace. Now he's just a shepherd in Modesto. And maybe you go, you know what, I, I don't think, maybe you've settled on your life just being relatively insignificant. Maybe my kids or my grandkids will do something great. But for me, I just kind of want to get through life and make it to heaven without screwing anything else up. And if that's true of you, it's probably because there's an insecurity. Because you know the things you've done. You know what's happened in your past. And I want you to know that God, just like he called out to Moses, he calls out to every one of us. And what we're going to find out right now is that the reason that Moses' life went off course at its root was actually something very good. Let me say that again. The reason why Moses' life was off course was actually at its root something good. So remember I told you in the story, the reason he's out in Midian is because he murdered somebody. Can we all agree murder is not good? If that's true, say amen. Yeah, murder, not good. However... Why did Moses strike the Egyptian? Because he saw one of his Hebrew countrymen being beaten. The root of his anger, though he responded poorly, the root of his anger was he was angry at injustice. And even though murder is wrong, can we also all agree that it is right to be angry at injustice? It is right to be angry when somebody, because of their nationality or the color of their skin, because of their socioeconomic status or their gender or whatever, is, is either abused or, or considered a second-class citizen or mistreated. And that's what happened to Moses. He saw his Hebrew countrymen being beaten, and he got so angry. And it was a good anger expressed in a bad way. And it ended up taking his life off course. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were on the East Coast, and while we were there... We went and visited Mount Vernon, which is the home of George Washington. Has anybody ever been to Mount Vernon? Uh, it's this beautiful, sprawling estate with a big house overlooking the Potomac River. It's gorgeous. And when you go there, you would expect to feel incredibly patriotic and proud to be an American. But there's a, there's a tension when you visit the place that for my wife and I really made it difficult to enjoy the beauty. And that was that every time you would see a beautiful building or maybe you would visit these ornate stables where he kept all of his horses, you would always see nearby a small shack, something that looked like uh, from the, the TV show Little House on the Prairie, just a little one-room rickety wooden shack. And there's a plaque out in front. It would give the names of the slaves who lived in that little shack. One of them couldn't have been bigger than this little section of stage, and it had the name of the mother and the father and their six children who lived in that little shack. 
There were hundreds of slaves that served Washington's family. Where, where his tomb is, where Washington's tomb is, there's a, a big monument, uh, like a mausoleum. And there's a line. The day we were there, there was a line of people waiting to take a photograph next to the tomb of George Washington. But just a hundred or so steps away from that tomb, there's this little hillside covered by a forest. There was no line to get to that place. But it is the place where they estimate 150 slaves were buried in unmarked graves. In fact, they're currently doing an excavation of the site. My wife and I left there feeling less proud of our country and more ashamed of our country. We left feeling like we thought we were going to feel patriotic, but instead we left feeling brokenhearted and a little bit angry that for so long that kind of injustice could go on. That there's 150 unnamed people, God's children that he created, that he loved, that are, in, that are significant that were treated a little bit better than animals. How many of you know it is right to be angry at injustice? There should be something, especially those of us who are Christians and we, we go to church, the church should be the first to rise up and say, that's wrong. That is wrong. And this is what happened to Moses. He saw, and by the way, this wasn't just like 30 or 40 Hebrew people who were slaves. There was about 1.5 million Jewish people enslaved in, in Egypt for 430 years. And Moses had had it up to here, and he wasn't the only one that had it up to here. God had it up to here. I want you to read with me, continuing the story in verse 9 of Exodus chapter 3. God is speaking to Moses, remember, out of this bush that's on fire. Here's what he said in verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, he tells Moses, Go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And God takes Moses in this off-trail, off-course, imperfection, insignificant kind of guy in this difficult season of life. And he said, now, Moses, I'm going to take your mess and I'm going to make you my messenger. That thing in you that bothered you about that slave being abused... I can use that. You made a bad decision with it, but I'm going to take it and do something powerful. And God did for Moses what he often will do for us. If you're taking notes, write this down. Secondly, God will often use the most painful parts of our past to create a holy discontent or a righteous anger. God will often use the most painful parts of our past to create in us this thing that rises up and says, this is wrong and I can't, just stand by, a holy discontent. Now, I remember I told you a moment ago, I want you to not just see yourself sitting in a church listening to a story about Moses. I want you to imprint this upon your life. And here's what I want you to do, and, and hopefully this won't be too painful for some of you. I don't want people like sobbing and falling on the floor. But I want you to, in a moment, just close your eyes where you are right now, close your eyes, and I want you to look over the story of your life, the timeline, the, the history of you. And I want you to pick out in your mind the single most painful moment in your life. I want you to think about the most significant, painful event that happened to you. Could be when you were a kid. Could have been as an adult. 
When you look over the history, the timeline of your life, pick out one thing. Now, if it's easy for you, if you, if you go, hey, I know my one thing, would you just raise your hand? I want to see. Raise your hand real high if you know what that, that, that event is. Okay, most of us. If you haven't had an event like that, it's coming. For those of you that are young, bad things happen, and sometimes they're so bad, it just knocks you to the floor. That's your cheerful message for Sunday morning. God bless you. Have a good day. We'll talk to you later. We don't live in a life where everything goes the way we plan. There are times where things go off course and painful, horrific things. The kinds of things that if I just said, hey, whoever raised their hand, come up here and start telling your stories. If you came across this, this platform and started telling your stories, we would all be in tears. Because in this life, there is going to be trouble and hardship. But God can take those painful moments and do something beautiful and powerful, just like he did with Moses. Let me give you two really quick examples. Uh, in my church, there's a couple that um, their seven-year-old son, this was about 12 years ago, their seven-year-old son, uh, who was a healthy boy, little league star in our community, all of a sudden got this headache, and within a matter of months, lost all strength in his body with this undiagnosed illness. He ended up in a wheelchair for seven years and eventually passed away from this undiagnosed illness. Those of us who knew the family and, and our whole church watched the parents and we thought, man, I couldn't think of anything worse to have to be as a parent, watch your kids suffer. And of course, during those seven years, many people from our church, you know, supported them and helped them and tried to encourage them. People would send them in the mail little, like, gas gift cards so they could have money to drive their kids. You know, people pitched in so they could have flights to fly over across the country to a different doctor, specialists trying to figure out what on. But in the end, he perished. They had received so much re uh, uh, support that when their son died, they started a foundation in his honor, a nonprofit organization called the Mitchell Thorpe Foundation. And over the past half a dozen years, this nonprofit organization has raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to help other families who have kids with terminal illnesses like cancer or kids who have been in accidents. And the most painful part of their life has been turned into their whole life calling. They both quit their jobs and their whole life now is raising money with, through different events to help families who are suffering just like they suffered. I told you I was speaking at a men's camp a few weeks ago with my son up in Big Bear. When I got up to speak in the morning, there were about 30 guys in the first two row, and there's no nice way to say it. They looked like they were just on release from prison for the day. I mean, tatted up and pierced, rough-looking dudes. My kind of guys. They look like Oakland Raider fans. My kind of guys, okay? Not like sissy, Charger, L.A., San Diego Charger fan, like Pastor Sean kind of people. Like, like tough dudes. And as I'm preaching, they just seem super into it. They're like, yeah, and amen, and everything. So after the service, one of them comes up to me and starts to tell me, he goes, hey, uh, do you notice those rough-looking dudes in the front? I'm like, yeah, they look different from everybody else at the men's camp. He goes, those are my guys. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well... When I was younger, I was addicted to cocaine. I was uh, in trouble with the law. Um, just, he had this radical, like, drug crime past. He goes, but I met Jesus, and God changed my life. Started going to church, and God changed everything. 
And even though I wanted to just forget about my past and not pretend, how many of you know at church, we're really good at pretending like we don't have the bad stuff anymore, right? We're really out of like bad place. We show up at church and then all of a sudden we learn, hey, we don't talk about that stuff at church. I'm grateful that this church is the kind of church where you can show up all messed up. You don't have to clean up first. And when you get here, then God can get to work on you. How many of you look at the person next to you and go, that guy looks just as screwed up as I am? He is, I guarantee it. And so this guy, though he came into a church where he was probably thinking, I better just look the certain way and talk the certain way and act like I could fit in. Instead, he started a recovery ministry. He goes, I'm going to try and help out some guys who are in the place like me. And he told me those 30 guys in the first few rows, those are my guys. He said, I've been discipling these guys. They're all coming from drug and prison pasts. And here they are up at a Christian men's camp. God can take the most embarrassing, the most shameful, the most painful part of your past, whether it's something you did to yourself or whether it's a way that you've been victimized, and he can take that mess and turn it into a message. And that's what he did with Moses. And we all know it because we know the story of Moses, don't we? We know that he did great things for God. I want to wrap up the part of the story we're going to read together in uh, uh, verse 11 of chapter 3. Verse 11 of chapter 3. But Moses said to God, so God says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. We're going to go do this, right? Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I wish Moses, hero of the faith, I wish that when God said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, that Moses said, all right, I've been waiting for my second chance. Let's go do this. I even know where Pharaoh lives. I used to live there. Let's go. We'll get in there. We'll go get him, God, and we'll set those people free. But instead, Moses responded the same way that a lot of you respond when I tell you a story about somebody who starts a nonprofit to help hurting families or this guy who starts a recovery ministry. What happens is you look at people and you go, well, maybe for them, but not me. Maybe you go, I don't, I'm not like a nonprofit organization starter kind of person. I'm more of a just show up at church, don't try to screw things up kind of person. But I want to tell you, if your thinking is not me, I'm not that kind of person, my, my answer for you is another question. Why not you? Why not you? Why can't God find you where you are with your brokenness and do something powerful and beautiful? And Moses, I wish again, he said, I wish he would said, all right, God, let's do this. I'm all in. But he didn't. He said, who am I? Who am I to do this? Like, I'm not worthy. I murdered somebody. But God made it very clear to Moses that it wasn't Moses' strength. It wasn't his power. It's what God was going to do through him. Last thing I want to share with you, write this down if you're taking notes. We'll wrap up with this. God doesn't choose people who are already equipped. He equips those whom he chooses. See, God chose Moses before he was even born. He spared his life, and it was all leading up to this moment. God didn't choose Moses because he was already equipped. He wasn't like a great orator. He didn't have any great leadership skills. He just was a guy who took his life off course and ended up in a thorn bush. And God pulled him out and he dusted him off. And he said, come on, Moses, we're gonna go do something great. And we know the end of the story, don't we? We know what happened. We, knew, we now know that Moses is, we're reading his story a few thousand years later in church. So why not you? Why can't God take your most painful 
story and turn that into something powerful for him, something eternally significant. Some of you have battled with things in your life that when God had got a hold of you, he didn't rescue you out of it so you could pretend it didn't happen, but so that you could be used by him to encourage other people, to strengthen other people. And you can pray for people who are going through something you went through. Maybe you had an abortion when you were younger. And boy, you go, man, in church, I don't want to talk about that. I got to just keep my mouth quiet. But then God has brought some people into your life. And if you have the courage to share that, maybe he's going to use you to bring healing to somebody else who's going through regret and pain and suffering over things they've done in their past. Today, I want you to know God doesn't choose people who are already equipped for the job. He equips those whom he chooses. And I want to tell you right now, he chooses you. He already chose you. Before you were even born, he chose you. And even when you screwed up in your life, he says, no, I still choose you. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God's demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus to die on a cross to pay for our sin. Before we even believed. And you may be here and you're not even sure what you believe about God. You don't even know if there is a God. You're only here because you're trying to impress some girl who said you got to come to church with me. Or you're here because your in-laws guilted you into coming to church. I don't know. Here's what I do know. God is real. He loves you and he chose you and he's here right now. And he, you can leave here today, instead of just thinking there might be a God out there, you can leave here today going, I know, not only do I know there is a God, but I know he's my God and that he loves me and chose me and has a plan for my life. And so this morning, I want to ask you to put your Bibles away and put your notes down or tablets or phones or whatever you have. And I want to invite you to stand with me for a moment because we're going to take a moment to ask God to take this story of, of taking Moses' mess and turning him into a messenger. We're going to ask him to do the same for every person here. And I want to ask you to do something that might be a little different for you. Uh, um, and that is, I want you to take your hands with nothing in them and hold them in front of you just like this. And sometimes it helps to let your physical posture reflect what's going on in your heart. And we're going to hold our hands out like this, and we're going to ask God if he would take whatever mess we have to, to hand to him. Maybe it's some bad choices you've made. I don't know. Maybe it's something that happened to you. And I want to invite you to pray with me. And I'm going to pray some words on your behalf. And we're going to just lay it at his feet. And then we're going to keep our hands out because we're also going to say, God, would you put into our hands, would you put into our life your plans, your dreams for me? Now, before we pray that, I want to speak to those of you, keep your hands out, those of you who are here who have never given your heart to Christ, you've never put your faith in God. And today, in this moment, you can tell he's knocking on the door of your heart. I want to invite you, just whatever walls you've had up, lay them down. Whatever junk you have in your life, lay it at his feet. And I want to pray with you right now that this is the moment that you receive Christ as Savior. And if you want to pray this with me, even if you're like, I don't really know much about the Bible or church or God, that's okay. You know enough to know that you need God right now. So I want you to pray with me. Let's just close our eyes together. And as I pray these words, make them your own. Just say, Jesus, I have my hands laid out in front of me as a symbolic way of saying, I lay my life at your feet. I give you everything, my future, my dreams, my hopes, and even my brokenness and my mistakes and my past and my regrets. I lay them at your feet. I choose today to put my faith in you and ask you to be my God. I believe that you died on a cross to pay for my sins 
and that you rose from the grave and proved to the whole world that you are God. So today I ask you to be my God and to come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live my life for you from now on. And God, all of us collectively in this room, from those of us who are brand new to church or those of us who have been walking with you for decades, today, once again, God, we just lay at your feet our future and we ask that you would put into our lives, into our hands, your dreams, your plans. That, God, we would live a fulfilled life because we fulfill your dreams for us. May we accomplish everything that you created us for. Thank you for choosing us and loving us. And I pray, Lord, that in Jesus' name at this moment, that you would impart to my brothers and sisters here dreams, ideas, plans, visions about what you want to do through their life to take their mess and turn it into a message. God, I pray that you would revive promises that have been stored away in the hearts and the minds of my friends here. That God, that they would see themselves not as just imperfect and insignificant and insecure, but Lord, they would see themselves like Moses, willing to be used by you for eternally significant things. God, move powerfully in their lives. Continue to use this church to transform this area, to draw more and more people to you. God, I thank you in advance that these Signs made out of light bulbs on both walls here are going to be fully lit up and they're going to have to make a bigger sign for more and more people who will come today, just like a few who have already done it, and surrender their lives to you. God, I pray your continued anointing upon my brother Sean. I thank you for his leadership and the team that he has here. God, I pray that all the dreams that you have in store for this church would come to pass. For your glory and your kingdom's work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's worship the Lord.